from the heart of the Oregon wine country, you're listening to season six of the Wine Crush podcast. Stories uncorked for wine enthusiasts around the world. Featuring winemakers from the Willamette Valley and beyond. From origin stories to terroir, here's your host, Heidi Moore. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Wine Crush Podcast. It is season six, episode two. It's a mouthful. There's a lot of S's in that, so I had to actually kind of think about it a little bit. We are uh, in downtown McMinnville in our beautiful studio down here, and we have two great stories for you today. And we are so excited because, well, it's been a while since we've originally talked to them, and we're actually getting them live on the air. So we have Syndicate Wines today, and we have Gorilla Wine with us today. And so we're going to start with Dave. Dave drew the lucky straw, so he's first up today, and he is going to tell us all about Syndicate Wine their wine bars and their wine and everything in between. But we're going to, well, you're going to say hello first, and then we're going to get in your story. Hello. There you go. See how easy that was. Thank you for joining us because um, your lovely wife was not able to make it today. So you are flying solo today. That's okay. We're a team and we sometimes have to conquer by dividing. Busy schedules and everything is the way it is. Yeah. It's just kind of the way of the world. Exactly. Yes. 2023. (laughs) <laughs> it sounds so wrong. I'm saying that because I'm still writing 2022 sometimes. So yeah, I, have to remind I myself, myself writing like, 2020 yeah. the other day, and I'm like, okay, we are way past that year. Mm-hmm. So, well, welcome in, and let's talk about Syndicate yeah. and all things. Sure. So, I was, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier. Um, I've known you guys for a few years. I have worked with you on the business side, but I never bothered to really ask how this all started and why you're doing what you're doing. So that's your department. I'm going to totally pass the mic over to you and you're going to start and finish with that. Okay. Well, Angela and I grew up in McMinnville originally. I I actually grew up on Baker Street, just a few blocks from here. My folks had a house for many years that my grandmother had and and they inherited it from her. And I, I started off in high school here. And actually, Angela and I met at band camp, if you can believe that. Oh, you're um, one of those. Mm-hmm. I played trumpet. She played clarinet. There were no flutes involved. Oh, uh, that's what I tell people. But <laughs> no, we've known each other since we were 14. And you know, we grew up. We went through college. We kind of went about our, our lives, married, had kids, met again in divorce class. I'm not kidding. And this, so this couldn't really get any juicier in any like yeah. more. I don't even know if cliche is the right word, no, but how it's, cool. It's so many cliches, but yes. it's, it's the honest God truth. But if we focus on the wine side, I went to Linfield here, and so I worked IPNC every summer. I was on the conference crew, so I worked in the kitchen under the chefs. The salmon bake, I was the guy that that dug the pit and carted away the old wood afterwards. I the mean, it, backbreaking stuff. Yes, absolutely. Yes, the dirt work. Yeah, totally. Literally. Which is, which is kind of what it's like being a sommelier. I mean, it's not too much different. I mean, you do the backbreaking work with no credit. No, I, fair, I, fair I, enough. I, I yes. love what I do. Angela, on the other hand, uh, she cut her teeth working hospitality. She was like the hostess at, where was it? Augustine's out mm. on Highway 18 for yeah. many years. So when we kind of met up again and we realized there was common interests, I was running a tech company at the time and she came on board and we started doing consulting for wineries. Because many years back, I had realized that wineries really at their core, they work the land, they're farmers. I mean, they grow grapes, but the challenges of technology, the challenges of marketing and sales, operations, finance, all that. And that's where we were able to collaborate to assist a number of local brands. And one day, one of them asked, hey, if I ever started a tasting room in Beaverton, which is where we were living and still live, he asked, would you ever consider staffing it? We thought about it for a minute. We thought, well, no, we could, we could open our own bar and carry you know, their labels. And that was kind of the initial seed that later on would become Syndicate Wine Bar and and the brand Syndicate Wines. Uh, it's so interesting because, you know, I went to Linfield. I moved out here from the coast in 1992. IPNC is at Linfield in the beautiful Oak Grove. And I had no idea how much there was as far as like wine country, wine stuff. And in 92 was definitely a different story than it is in 2023. How was it when you were at Linfield and growing up in McMinnville? Did you really notice the wine industry? Did you just go, eh, you know, it's just, you know, what they do around here? It's. I was raised in a dry home. My parents were absolutely opposed to consuming any form of alcohol. They didn't go to the extent of calling it the devil's sauce or anything like that. Yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, it, was, it was my brothers who actually taught me about beer. 
and then wine. And working at Linfield, you know, on the summer crew, seeing that dumpster full of empty bottles at the end of IPNC, I thought, wow, there's a huge story here. And at the time it was, I think they said 3,000 bottles in that one weekend, and I'm sure it's gone up since then. It's, it is amazing how much wine is consumed and shared and enjoyed in those, I don't know, three days, four days. It's strange when you grow up in an area like this, it's so blessed with these opportunities. And then you go out and discover it for yourself and realize, wow, this has been missing from my, you know, my life since, well, not that many years. Cause I had only recently turned 21, you know, just being able to go out. Number in the does country, not matter when it comes to that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if, if, if you think back on your childhood, but like the smell in the air in October, the wet leaves on the ground, the way that the sky sets early and the sun sets. And so it's getting darker and colder, but these wineries are open and they have this warm glow and you walk inside and the tasting room's there and you've got these wines lined up. I fell in love with the passion of it way back then. You know, it, it, I never shook it and it just kind of became a part of my life. I mean, wine was something that I had experienced a little bit as a student at Linfield because I traveled overseas. My then fiance was studying in, in France for a year and I was in England for half a year and we met up and traveled extensively through the Rhone region. And I had no idea what I was missing out on because, oh, cool castles and stuff. And of course there's vineyards right behind. And anyway, it's just kind of coming around, you know, many years later and revisiting it now on the business side and realizing, oh my gosh, I've been to those locations. I've traveled through those areas. I can still smell the air, you know, and, and the feel of the dirt in my hands from those travels from the mid nineties. I mean, it's, it's kind of what I deal with every day. I mean, I'm, I'm always learning. I'm always reading. I'm always tasting. It's just endless learning that has really drawn me into this. And I would kind of concur in that with that as well. I actually probably went on the same trip to England, probably a different year. Hopefully it was a different year because I have um, discovered that I have a friend now that we were on the same trip. There was 25 people on that trip. Mm -hmm. We don't remember each other, even though oh. we were on the same airplane, the same buses, the same everything. So it's crazy. But you do go to places like that. And what you're focused on as a 20-something is completely different as a 40-something or 50-something or, you know, just a much different part of your life. And so I did not grow up in McMinnville, but for up until probably seven years ago, I did not have a, an appreciation for the wine industry and the you know, prolificness of what it was around here until I started looking a little bit closer mm -hmm. and I fell in love with something very similarly. And now, now it's kind of a sickness. It's an illness. It's an obsession. It's a passion. I don't know. I don't know how you kind of, you know, well, quantify it. it, it but It it's, becomes a part of your everyday life. And that's what my experience was in Europe, at least. It was, I mean, you could have it every meal of the day. It could in fact be your meal in some cases. Oh, for sure. Uh, especially if you're on a budget and you've got an, anyway. No, that's a, it, that's it was, a whole different yeah. podcast about how you can survive off beer and totally. wine and, and bread in, I was, in I was Europe. I was fascinated. <laughs> you know, there was this whole kind of uh, stigma about like boxed wines or bagged wines or kegged wines. And yet at the time when I was in rural Spain, many years later, like early 2000s, I went into this grocery store and there's a family with this big five gallon jug and they're filling it up with their allotment for wine for that for that month. And they're just like, they're, they're tapping it. And awesome. I thought- that's amazing. You know, what, what are we doing in the States? Why is there a stigma on bagged wines or anything? So it, it's really interesting how, when you look at other cultures and how they approach wine, and then you come back to your, your home roots and you realize, oh, well, we've got IPNC here. We've got these great wineries. It still feels so new and young here. Whereas it's been established there for hundreds and hundreds of years. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I know we were in Spain a few years ago. They put wine on the table in a craft before the water arrived. Perfect. And it's just like, Huh. Okay. This is interesting. This is great. Yeah. Let's kind of circle back around to the kind of the origins sure. of syndicate. Uh, we could talk Europe and trips and stuff all day long. I, it's like my favorite topic um, is travel. But syndicate came from your IT background and you kind of had briefly touched on, you know, the idea and the the original kind of seed planting of that. And so how and when did it actually evolve into what you're doing today? So uh, 2016, 17, 18, Angela and I had a lot of wine club memberships. We got so entranced in the industry and spending a lot of time in tasting rooms, getting to know the winemakers, getting to know, of course, with the, through the consulting, you know, the business owners behind the brands and realizing there's, there, it's just endless opportunity really to help people and to learn at the same time. And really it's Syndicate is a combination of our two, 
you know, what we bring to the table, the best of us. And it wouldn't be there without our team to back us. But in, in 2018, we were doing all this consulting. And then after hours, we would call on some friends, say, hey, you know, we had a rough day at the winery. You know, this is going right. That's not going well. But, you know, and so some of our associates and friends would say, well, let's head over to your house. Sure. Come on over, bring a bottle. We'll put something on the grill. We'll barbecue after hours. And then just like, you know, one of those quotes, like Avengers Assemble, one night it just came out, Syndicate Unite. And everybody showed up. And that's where the name Syndicate just stuck. And really what a syndicate is, it's a group of people brought together for a common cause. And in this case, it's not just after hours drinking. I mean, it was actually friends getting together and collaborating through a common passion and love for wine. And that's where the whole thing started. It was uh, the fall of 2018. And we realized in that moment of also being asked, hey, would we consider running a tasting room for a, a local winery? We thought, wait a minute, there's something here. Because we've lived in Beaverton for almost 25 years. I mean, I'm a McMinnville native. I've lived in Salem. I've lived all throughout the valley in my youth before I moved into McMinnville. Um, but I realized that Beaverton, what they have not had for all those years is really a, a consistent wine bar. There's been seven or eight that have come and gone. And why? You know, we're, we're dealing with Washington County. <clears throat> we've got a community of more than 100,000 people in Beaverton alone, quarter million people in Washington County. You can't tell me there's not a need for this. And so we started talking to city leaders and community leaders and they realized, yeah. And this coincided with the city of Beaverton wanting to rehab this old downtown district into what they would now call restaurant row. Like the stars aligned, timing lined up. I had a few, I don't want to say chance conversations, but there was definite interest. And so Angela and I pulled on our years of researching all these tasting rooms. And I mean, we'd gone up and down the West Coast. We spent time in Seattle, San Diego, Los Angeles, Bay Area, um, Southern Oregon, Bend, the beach, you know, Seaside, been all these places. We went to all these different wine bars to see what are they doing and what seems to be working for them. And then we, we went back and literally turned our living room into like a war room with just like drawings all over the place. And line graphs and there was no yarn involved with pens or anything, but <laughs> it sure felt, you know, wow. Uh, like a crime scene yeah, of some and, sort. But the weird thing is it was such an elegant design. We realized, hey, we don't want to be just a bar. We don't want to be just a tasting room. We don't want to be just a bottle shop. We don't want to be just a restaurant. Pretty sure we don't want to be a winery. And that ties into the fact we do have a private label, but we don't make those wines. We partner with local wineries that are really good at making wines. Because we wanted to provide everybody something, something unique. So when I say we're not all those things, we are a little bit of each, we're a blend of it all. So when you come to one of our two locations, you'll realize this isn't a standard, this isn't a tasting room or a bar or a restaurant. It's like a living room. It's a very relaxed space. It's like a gathering place. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. you're sitting at this wonderful table of yours here having this podcast and you've got this solid live edge like slab tabletop. And this immediately drew me in. I love, I love the use of wood. I love it as a natural element because uh, we wouldn't have civilization without wood. Like before we had, I mean, I guess the Romans were able to make concrete 2000 years before. But <laughs> if you think about it, a lot of buildings are built out of wood. And it's a reminder that we have what we have as a civilization because of the resources of this earth. And what do you know? Wine is from the earth. I mean, so I, I, I implement and utilize wood wherever I can in the seating and in the decorations and just kind of the bar, like details, even the chandeliers. Yeah, I mean, it's very poetic. I mean, in that whole idea and the fact that, you know, you get the warmth from wood, both in, you know, potential heat and just the way it looks and feels and, you know, whatever. And so, yeah, your your tasting rooms or your, your bars or, you know, however you want to actually say it, because I don't want to use one word because I feel like it takes it's a away. Bar. I know, but it takes away from there's just stigmatization, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. I don't even know if that's a word. We just made that a word. Stigmatization. Stig stigmatization. It'd be a great it's, wine label. It, yeah. <laughs> I want credit for that. It's a wine so you're not you know. sure you're yes. supposed to drink. You're not sure when yeah. it's right. You know, if there's no matter yeah. what you do, it's gonna be looked yeah. down upon. Yeah. 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 So I don't even know where I was going. But it is very comfy. It's very nice. It's warm. It's inviting when you walk in, which, you know, for me is was always a turnoff going into tasting room when it was kind of felt sterile and a little bit maybe medical to a certain extent. And I think there's definitely been like a new era of mm -hmm. um, 
kind of a rehab, remodel, rethinking of those tasting rooms. And a lot of it is what you just said. I mean, the pandemic definitely pushed us towards that end. I wanted us to have a classy space, which worked when we were still allowed indoor seating, but then outdoor seating, our Beaverton landlord was nice. He said, you can use the parking lot after hours. So that first, you know, year and a half, we would, we ended up converting half of that parking lot into an outdoor tent. I mean, it's a beautiful tent. If he were to visit uh, the legacy tasting room at Eola Hills Wine Cellar out in the Eola Amity Hills, you would see the tent there. They, they gave it a second life. Oh, that's I so mean, fun. We called it the barrel room because uh, we used wine barrels carved out full of cement blocks as stanchions to hold it down as ballast so the thing wouldn't blow away. And it quickly took on this really comfy feeling because we put nice wooden floor decking out there. It's all snapped together. I mean, it was a really classy place. And then, of course, bang, we can move back indoors. So we've been in this process of three years of constant adaptation. And the whole time, what we really want our guests to know is that, hey, it's like walking into our living room. We want to be comfortable here so that you, we know you will as well. And I guess, you know, the, to your point about some tasting rooms feel sterile, there is that adage that if you get time to lean, you get time to clean. But when it's so clean, it's like, you think, well, can I get my dental work done here too? You know, maybe it's a little too- Too much. How do you relax in a space like yeah. that? You know, do I need my insurance card to enter? <laughs> um, so we want to just use the natural elements, the soft tones and colors, just to create that relaxed space so you can focus on what's in your glass. And you guys have a really great lineup. It changes regularly. You have a lot of great labels in- in the actual bottle shop itself. And it's it's all kind of combined together. And mm -hmm. I, I've i been in there a few times. I don't get to be written near as often as I'd like to, but yeah, it's just, you know, busy life, busy, you know, happy wife. I don't know. I don't know how that all works together. But well, if you got time for yeah. wine. Yeah. Oh, for sure. But, you know, wine works really well at my bar mm -hmm. at home. So, you know, it's just easier a lot of times. But you do have this really great selection of wines. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, your choices and why sure. you're choosing the things that you're choosing. Is it all Willamette Valley? Is it kind of all over the place? Great questions. Thank you. Yeah. Um, like I said earlier, we have two locations, one in Newburgh, one in Beaverton. Beaverton is the flagship location, been open since 2019. Uh, it has the largest wine selection that we have too, over about 430 different labels in the bottle shop, intentionally selected, less than 5%. Our Pinot. So that's that's a huge number, mm -hmm. actually, of missing Pinot. I've got about twenty-five yeah. to thirty Pinots that I that I have there at any one time. But goal is not to make it all local heavy. So we do about one third local, one third regional, one third international. Regional is Washington and California, Idaho, Vancouver, BC, you know, those other regions. International is where we have the greatest amount of play. If you go back historically, Portland set itself up as a really an interesting space for the international wine scene coming out of the prohibition. And this has nothing to do with the fact that it was a lot of Italian immigrants or anything. No, it was the people running the market said, hey, why don't we make Portland a hotbed for Italian imports? And they did it. And so between Seattle and San Francisco, Portland became one of the major import spaces for all types of at first Italian wines and then you know, uh, French, German, Spanish, and it's just gone from there. So we actually have access here in the Northwest, specifically the Portland metro area, to some wines that you really can't find unless you're on the East Coast. I That's mean, crazy. So, I had no idea. Yeah. So when I went, when I was going through WSET training, my instructor was very, very clear. She said, here's a list. If you can find these anywhere, buy them now. I had no problem finding them. Hmm. So I do carry a very, very early uh, Hunter Valley Semillon, as they pronounce it in Australia, a Semillon. Mm -hmm. I've got some really great New Zealand Sauvignon Blancs, Gruner Veltliner from New Zealand. I mean, wow. I, so my interest then became, how do we find the oddball varietals, the oddball blends, the things that are truly rare, and then we make it all about providing the guests something distinct that they won't find anywhere else. And the difference couldn't be more between Beaverton and Newburgh because in Beaverton, everybody loves, everybody loves the selection. We got over 400 labels. Newburgh is in the heart of wine country and really. And so I don't want it to be just local Pinots. And what we actually see is there's an even greater demand for international and regional wines in Newburgh compared to Beaverton. 
Huh, interesting. So it's just little and, nuances and it, like that. Yeah, that and it may be around. because of where the location is and mm-hmm. the fact that you are within like 400 wineries within mm-hmm. 20 minutes each direction, oh, you yeah. know, so That's to great. speak. And so, yeah, what it, I mean, and it is. I mean, I love Pinot. Pinot's great. Pinot is what has really defined, you know, the Willamette Valley. But sometimes you get a little Pinot out and you need some variation and some variety in your life. And so it's really cool that yeah. I had no idea. I guess I should have known that, that you had so many cool. Cool selections, I guess. We try to make it a a challenge every month. So we do bring in, you know, six, eight, 10 new wines every month and cycle some old ones out. Uh, We do have a wine club. And that was one thing that came from the research we did on the West Coast. The successful wine bars that we found had some kind of membership component to their brand. This is diversification. So, you know, monthly subscription, you get so many bottles of wine. Some are doing a lot more. We settled on two bottles a month. So every month we pick out a total of six different labels to present to our club, which is close to 200 members. I mean, 200 counts. And, you know, over the course of a month, that's a lot of repeat business you see. And so we, we always try to carry three whites, three reds. It's impossible to hit everyone's palate. I'm going to have two dry whites, medium to sweet white. I'm going to have a medium red, a medium full red, and a full bodied red. And I'm going to try to do two local, two regional, two international in that mix. That's a lot of mix and match. It's a lot of mix and match. And then at one point in the middle of the pandemic, there were 38 shipping container boats that had no port to settle into. And guess which of those boats was carrying all the wine I was trying to buy? Mm, probably the one that didn't get to come to port. Right. Yeah. And so within minutes of, of us having to launch the newest club selections, we're having to shift gears and say, well, we're going to do something different this month. Mm. And trying to make it a seamless experience for our club members and, and guests at large, it's a challenge. Huh, how fun. That's really fun. I, it's super fun. It is. And it, it keeps your job interesting as well, yeah, being sure. able to try and research and all that good stuff. And I see that Mariel is um, mm. reaching for the wine, which my glass is mm-hmm. empty too, but this is a great this seg- is a, great segue yeah. into your wines. This is what I'm pouring for you right now. This is a 2021 Rosé of Pinot Noir. This was produced for us by Chris Baker, a local winemaker. He is of Ancient Cellars, is his brand, but he also recently purchased the old Wheatland Winery down towards Salem. Chris's approach to wines is that they should be approachable, not only from a, you know, obviously a quality component, but an economic component too. We're happy to pass that along. I mean, it's it's just a great, great wine. It drinks well. And I've made a lot of rosé believers out of this label specifically. People that were not rosé believers mm-hmm. that you converted them because that's that is hard sometimes because there's such a preconceived notion that rosé is sweet and only sweet mm-hmm. and or tastes like watermelon or something like that and so I mean this has some structure to it and it's not that sweet. This this candy one is one wine. of the higher octane rosés he's done. Twenty one was a, a bumper year for him fruit wise and so we we saw a riper fruit development in it. I believe it is fourteen point five percent alcohol content. Whoa. There's really no residual sugar other than what was needed, just a little dosage for, you know, just just to balance it out at bottling. But it's not as full body as, say, a Tavel. You know, I wouldn't pair this with steak. This would go well with like a cedar plank salmon or something like that. Yeah, agreed. But rosé, this is one that we have, we sell this year round. I mean, even in the middle of, gosh, if I go back a year ago, February, when it was iced over, we had that ice storm. We had people out because we were still seating everybody outdoors. We had people show up bundled up sitting next to space heaters, six inches of ice and snow, drinking rosé. It was the weirdest thing. What a picture though. Yeah. I I look at it as either, wow, we're doing something right or wow, this town is desperate for wine. (laughs) It's like, I'm not going to question it. So that's one thing. We we operate a judgment-free zone. Very good. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your background is. I don't care how you look, how much money you have. Come on in. This is your living room now. Sit down. I'll find something that tastes good to you. That's the whole point of why we do this. Yeah. I love it. So I'm looking at all these bottles on the table, and there's what six? Let's see how many syndicate bottles are there. Uh, one, one, two, three, two, three four, four five. five. Yeah, five. So I see a couple of them that are have like traditional looking labels, mm-hmm. and then I see some person, maybe a lady, in a neon green jumper jumping at me off the label that looks potentially yeah. like a superhero. So yeah, in 2020, we partnered with a local comic book company to caricature the varietals as superheroes. And the point of this was that it was such a rough year between the pandemic and the wildfires that even the grapes needed a superhero. I and love so it. our entire line of wines we released in 2020 were superhero themed. 
How fun. And oh. probably really well received. Very well received. It did raise some eyebrows. Like people said, well, who's this character? What's their superpower? If you look at Chardonnay, he's like a speed racer. And he's got on his uniform, he's got actually like a wine glass insignia right on, on the middle of his chest. The larger prints, you can definitely see the uh, the detail. The, the point is like, we're only serious about the wine in your glass. We don't take ourselves too seriously outside of that. Because if we did, we feel that it would get in the way of creating that non-judgmental space. You know? I, yeah. Well, well said. So let's talk about some of these other varietals sure. that yeah. we have. We've got a Pinot Noir and a Syrah. So the Chard, Pinot, and Syrah were all done for us by Willamette Valley Vineyards out of Turner. The Pinot, I just actually sat down this week and tasted through some of the 2021 Pinot blends that they have available for us on private label. So um, we are going to be continuing the Pinot program through them. Really good Dijon clone, you know, Cepage uh, in, in, in those labels. We've got also the Syrah. You may recognize the Syrah is also the Maison Bleu line through Willamette Valley Vineyards, which is out of uh, Walla Walla, kind of Eastern Oregon. I hadn't even seen that label yet. It looks like um, from a distance, I'm looking at it across the table, but it looks like it looks like a haunted house kind of. It has well, kind of that eerie aura to it. Yeah. So and here's the thing. I, I do the label designs and I totally neglected the fact that the bottom of this label should have in white, it should say Walla Walla Valley. So mm. I, I don't know how that, that's why we do press checks and I should know better because I came from a print press background originally. Things happen. And things totally happen. Yeah. But I'm also reminded by one of our staff members said it to me. He's like, he, he referred to the Amish because I'm, I can be a perfectionist when it comes to doing like furniture building and stuff. He said, remember, the Amish always intentionally introduce an error into every piece of furniture they do and every piece of artwork. Every building has an error to remind them, everybody, that you're human and no one's perfect. And so I look at this as my Amish mark on a bottle of wine. <laughs> I don't know how go. that would be received. But, <laughs> there you go. Um, I guess it depends on who you say that to. Well, my, yes. my dad was a minister of 35 years, but I'm sure he'd kind of give me a pass on this one yeah. comment. So I don't know. <laughs> I love um, it. Yeah, yeah. I, I love creativeness in labels and definitely the guy jumping off the bottle at me. I keep looking at him through my glass. And, I, I, I yeah, am and concerned then th about this the haunted house cool. reference. So so I do see if you look at the, the Pinot, it's, it's not a reversed image, but yeah. that, that's a an artistic rendering of the front of our building in Beaverton. I'm only looking at the colors. I, I can see like structure, like a building structure and the color. And to me, that is the haunted mansion at Disneyland. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. That's cool. I could yeah. actually, I, on a future label, I could have like glow in the dark ghosts that show up when you turn it on oh, holding like nasty. wine glasses and stuff. We'd have know. to send me a case because I want sure. glow in the dark stuff on my bottles. Right. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Maybe give me nightmares. I don't know. Okay. We've talked about wine. We've talked about the story. We need to figure out where we find you in yeah. social media and online, and then sure. where people can come and hang out in the living room. Yeah. So when we first opened, we had a very, very small kitchen. And in the pandemic, that went away because we partnered with the local restaurants up and down First Street in Beaverton. Uh, starting this last year, we reopened both kitchens, the kitchen in Beaverton, and we started doing our own food in Newburgh. So if you come in, we've got really nice fresh fare. We've got charcuterie. Uh, in the summertime, we do add some salads. Right now, our version of salads is a nice homemade bowl of soup. I mean, it's vegetables it, it and fruit and whatever, yep. whatever we put into it. Um, so we also do paninis. That's really nice. Nice toasted sandwiches. But the concept behind the food is that it should pair with the wine and not overshadow the wine. So yeah, you can come in for a full meal like the citizens of Newburgh like to do. They come in for an appetizer, a meal. They want dessert, the whole thing. Beaverton, the crowd is, I just want your project board. Uh, it's this massive platter that feeds three people. It's got meats and cheeses, olives, fruits, nuts, and things on it. Mm, it's a different- speaking my language. Oh, totally. Yes. It's that, it's a thing that makes wine possible with every meal of the day, I think. So yeah, where are we found? Downtown Beaverton is our primary location, First and Watson. So if anyone is familiar with Beaverton, we're just a few blocks from Beaverton High School. It's a now a, a downtown dining district, very lively night crowd. It's it's a cool little area. It is totally. When I, yeah, when I pulled in there originally to come hang out with you guys, I'm like, wow, this is not what I was expecting because it's mm -hmm. kind of like behind like the old like Sailors Steakhouse and mm -hmm. Beaverton Police Department and kind of that general little area over there. Yeah, I think our space was originally the Myron Frank catalog appliance pickup. So if you had oh, ordered geez. like washing machines, yeah. you would go into our front doors to pick them up. 
I think that's how it originally was. And there was a music store next to us. They moved two doors down. And so we took over their old space and that's where we expanded to the big indoor dining room we have now. And in Newburgh, of course, it's, it's the old mill marketplace, wonderful space, wonderful community, great landlords. How often does a tenant say that? Rarely. Okay. I'm going to say that about both our landlords. They're amazing. They've been very, very generous. They've been very approachable, very kind to us throughout the pandemic and et cetera. So it's, it really makes a lot of things possible when you've got people that you feel are on your side and partnering with you. That are kind of rooting you on. Yeah. So that old mill marketplace corner of Elliott and 99. So about four blocks south of Newburgh High School. Look for Starbucks. Look for Starbucks. Or if you, if you also, you might see the Panda Express. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So it's an interesting. Across from the Ford Ford dealer? Is yeah. the Ford dealer across the street? And, and, and Burgerville is yeah, right Burgerville's there too. Right there. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, get your so many landmarks right there. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. But it's it's a wonderful community. I mean, Newburgh is like coming home. I mean, because we're originally from Yamhill County, really. And and it's just, a, it's nice to reconnect. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. And then as far as social media, you got to yeah. follow along because you guys always are kind of dropping, always, dropping good stuff. We always try to make the, the posts relevant, always something timely. There's always tons of content. But if you follow us on Facebook or Instagram, the handle is just Syndicate Wine. So, that sounds pretty yeah. easy. Well, Dave, thanks for you Thank know, you so coming for back home yeah. and joining us in our home. It was such a pleasure to have you. And enjoying the wines. I have two down, three to go. Thank you so So, much for the opportunity. You are so very welcome. Okay, everybody, grab a glass of wine, refill whatever you need to refill. And we are going to be next up with Marion Michael from Gorilla Wine. Okay. Well, Michael and Mariel, this has been a very long road to get you guys here because we originally met during COVID. Right. Outside in a tent. Yes. Trellis restaurant. I love this. That's so true. Yes. And you didn't have any wine. You had just I think you guys were a COVID relationship, weren't you? Like Oh, big time. Yeah. So <laughs> like there's so many stories that lead to like soap opera digest right here. Yes. That um this I was waiting for this moment because it's gonna be so fun. And yeah. It's gonna be so good. So welcome to thank Mary you. and Michael with Gorilla Wine. Yeah, and thanks for having us. Uh yes, this is so much fun. we've already had a good time today and we True. haven't even gotten through three bottles yet. So there's well, still and time. Those, those are just tastings yes. and not the full bottles. So let's just, <laughs> you know, let's just put a little caveat on there. Right. So I want to start from the beginning with you two. Let's start with, you know, how the dating started. And mm. there was a whole lot of freaking chaos that went along with it was. all of it. So, and to <laughs> me, this is all so much fun because you like, you guys are your own like reality show. Oh, thank you. Yes. Oh, oh you're so welcome. I love that. Do you want me to take this one? I feel like oh, this sure. Yeah. I feel yeah. like this is me thing. So we met, he was working at Bergstrom in the tasting room and I went with a friend who was having a real bad day. And so the two of us went out. We weren't expecting to go there. We were originally at Flinner and somebody called over to Bergstrom and was like, can you fit in two people? And they were like, totally. So we went over there and halfway through, she's like, I think he's flirting with you. And I was like, definitely not. I think he's 22. Um, Are you 22? Uh, No longer. Okay. (laughs) He wasn't then either, to be clear. Um, I'm not robbing any sort of cradle here. But after that, he got my number because he said if I sent him a picture of my mom's business card, I could have a discount because my mom owns a wine shop on the coast of Maine. So I was like, great, I'll take that industry disco. Like, let's go. And uh, so he had my number and I had his. And a few weeks later, my mom's coming to town. I text and I'm like, hey, we're coming out for a tasting. Do you know, do you think you could pour for us and all the things? And he was like, totally made a reservation. Second time, it was like, definitely we were flirting, in my opinion. Is that your opinion as well? I mean, shout out to the great pickup tactic of contacting you for your industry info. (laughs) (laughs) Smart. And he is adorable. Oh my God, of course. I mean, geez. Uh, Let's not make his head swell by any means. No, it's true. he's, He's got a nice face. We were just chatting and I knew about a wine that he was super into and... So it kind of just went from there. And then I honestly went for a, 
I'm going to say a few because I don't want to say how many. A few more tastings that day. I want to know the number. It was like three or four. Okay. And I was like, come to Portland and drink champagne with me. Like a real. So drunk texting. Oh, for sure. Yes. For sure. (laughs) And he was like, okay. A couple weeks later, we went on our first date at Mason in Sherwood. And then we moved in together six weeks after that. Oh, look at that going so fast. Yeah. You know how it goes. Yes. Everybody does that, right? For for sure. (laughs) I mean, well, okay, my story isn't for another time, but it didn't take that long. So, but my caveat is I had known him for several years beforehand. (laughs) So, but we'll have that conversation in our wine therapy sessions that we had had decided that we needed later. Okay. So it wasn't just him moving in with you. There were other components to this whole move in that made it not so simple. No, I was... um, what did you call it? Bacheloretting? I was bacheloretting it Because I hear there's a lot of expired shit in your fl- your fridge that there needed was. cleaned out. Oh, God, that's so embarrassing. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I had, you know, I have two kids and I had my best friend, work husband, roommate living with me at the time and his dog and I had a dog. And so when Michael moved in with his dog, I have two boys and I said, I'm running a home for young boys. And <laughs> so that's kind of how that started. And that's how we justified it. Yeah. <laughs> it, felt, it, felt, it felt altruistic. In yeah, some sense. it was. I was just like, I'm just providing them a great safe space. But we all cooked together and drank a lot of wine together. I was blessed with a wine cellar in my basement that he helped me fill. She and had the wrong things in there at the time. <laughs> oh, my God. So not only did she have a funky fridge, but she had the mm. bad, you had not so great stuff in your cellar. Listen, sir, that is offensive. No, no, I, I, I shouldn't say it. We'll, we'll argue about the, to this day, this is like her calf franc contentiousness with me. I love calf She's got amazing taste. She's always had really great taste. And then I'll joke that like I was into that 10 years ago and that's what I'll, I'll razz her about. So I'm like, it's time it's to- It's so rude. It's <laughs> like, he's just saying like, I'm like just coming around to like having wine taste. And I'm like, listen, first of all, I'm older than you. Not by very many years to be clear. But also like, I knew about this stuff. I'm hip. I got this. Yeah. <laughs> She was on the up and up. She, at the time, probably the most informed person that I, I knew. I mean, really, oh, like about regions nice. and, and varietals and, yeah. So, that's nice. Well, nice. and Aww. with her mom having a wine shop, then you would think there would be some background in, in wine then, mm-hmm. you know, before your flirting extravaganza <laughs> at Bergstrom Wine. So, I mean, so where did the interest in the wine come for both of you? Because obviously it was there before mm-hmm. the whole COVID meeting. First. Yeah, mine goes. I don't. I don't know the origin. Maybe at this point, I have flashbacks of things that I did that I could probably link together. But I definitely remember being 15 years old and and being like the only person I knew of who was like at home by himself, coursing out like five, six, seven course meals, just to have that like experience of what I thought about in terms of like travel and Europe and like what that whole world was. So food, I think, brought me to wine. I also had an uncle at the time. Uh, well, I still have an uncle, but at the time he exposed me to a lot of a lot of Napa Valley wines from like the late 70s, early 80s into the 90s. And so I kind of got exposure to, you know, kind of the growth of that area where I was living and realizing that, so I was in Sacramento at the time. I've got the Amador County, I've got the Foothills, Placerville, which was, you know, no one ever thought of, but they grow some of the best Roussan in the world. Just these really intriguing dynamics between Sonoma and, and Napa and then what I had right there in my backyard. So a little bit of exposure early on and kind of a thirst for, you know, just knowledge and food and creativity and why the hell do people take a two-hour siesta in the afternoon? And okay, I think I can get behind this. And how do I <laughs> how do I situate my life to include this long term? And, you know, I think that's that's kind of where it all started for me. You were the kind of friend I needed in high school that was cooking seven course meals. In, I mean, I got Hot Pockets or, yeah. yeah, or, you know, I don't even think you had microwave mac and cheese at that point in time. It was, you know. <laughs> no. He's but what's, what's funny is, I, I mean, I came from, my mom was a single parent, came from, you know, white bread and American cheese sandwiches. And then it was like, how do I take this, you know, cheap leftover thing and make this like gourmet little appetizer out of it kind of thing. So. He's kind of my... really good at going into our fridge and finding whatever we have that we haven't quite used yet. And he will create something that I'm just, I just couldn't even, I couldn't even conceptualize it to begin with. I mean, he's got far more of a like, culinary brain than I do. And I it's cook a and skill. I can cook, but and like to 
Yeah, totally. And, and it's an art. I always said that I should have made a top ramen cookbook because I'm the yes. same way. I can go into the refrigerator and just start pulling stuff out with different flavor profiles. You always add cheese because it just adds a richness mm. to, sure. you know, whatever. And <laughs> you could probably pair my top ramen really well with a wine of some sort. I haven't done that yet because it feels a little cheap. No, um, gosh, but, go for it. But that is like my guilty pleasure, like right there. The cheat code of champagne. Oh, for right, sure. Just throw champagne bring, at it. You're yep. probably a genius. <laughs> It'll probably work out. <laughs> well, it's just like the diet cocaine that's going on right now with the diet coke and the champagne. If you've mm. not seen that, heard that. Wait, what? It's a, it's a Tom Hanks thing. Um, it was, oh, I can't believe you guys have not heard of this. Oh. I'm literally, yes. I'm in. Like, yes. tell me more. Tom I, Hanks, and I, we diet have, coke, we, let's Well, go. I think we have champagne out there. Or, <laughs> sorry, sparkling wine. Sure. Probably somewhere out in my refrigerator. And I, I know we have flat coke. We don't have diet coke, but we have flat coke. <laughs> Wait, do you combine it? Yes. What? So I think it was a Jimmy Fallon thing, but they were talking about his guilty pleasure. And he's like, well, I'm not really gourmet, but I really like Diet Coke with champagne and I'd call it Diet Cocaine. <laughs> and and oh I've seen several different videos, whether it's TikTok or Instagram or whatever, of people trying it and going, oh my God. It's well, yeah. they do something similar in South America, right? They do Coca Cola with red wine, and that's pretty popular, I think. Yeah. But this sounds like a much I think an we might have to, version. yes, we might have to have like an experimentation of some sort. I'm a huge diet soda person, yeah, and I'm a huge champagne person, so this yeah, really works for me, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, I'm glad I taught you something new today. <laughs> I'm excited, yes. <laughs> so, and it's all uh, you know, Tom Hanks, who's yes. you know, the master Who's, of so many things. Hi, he's like the dad of America. <laughs> yes, 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 he is. Yep. Totally. Yep. Okay. So culinary background, cleaning out the refrigerator, um, expired queen of the fridge. Yes. And so what is your, I mean, what was your background as far as just other than your mom owning a, a wine shop or was that the background? That, uh, she started being into wine when I was sort of in high school, her and my stepdad. And so through kind of they let me drink at the table when I was 15 and 16. I got to travel a little bit. They were really into it. Um, and so just kind of naturally from there, I make fun of my mom because uh, she always like, Mariel, wine is a journey. And she's going to kill me for saying this on here. But like, that's her thing. And she's, you know, that's kind of where it started for me. And then I think both of us worked a lot in restaurants and fine dining and things. I know he did. And he did wine production and all of that in California. So I think we kind of had a similar path to it. And that's all through like hospitality, service industry stuff. So, I mean, that's great backgrounds oh, for, yeah. you know, what you're doing. And so you guys flirted, dated, moved in together. Mm -hmm. And then how did this wine brand come about? I think it was like a late night text. You were like, have you ever thought about making wine? And I was like, no, but like, I'm down to clown. You know how it is. <laughs> yeah. You know how it is. You first start dating, you're like, li listen to this song. It makes me think of you, you know? And then like, do you want to oh, start a- Lord. Do you want to start a wine label? You yeah. Know, like, do you <laughs> and I was like, hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> and I'm just like, riding his coattails off into the sunset. Like, take me with you. <laughs> so. I, uh, I, I came to Oregon and I, for me, I think I was looking for something fresh, something new, something different. I've been in the California wine industry. I started with Chateau Montalino as my first job in the Napa Valley, and I jumped over to Sonoma and, and got heavily into production for a number of years. Ended up actually doing a degree in Arizona in viticulture and um, enology, which sounds super bonkers because I was in California. And you know, the reality of, of that was that I was working in restaurants, paying for my own schooling, and it was so much more expensive in California. And then I was working restaurants in Arizona where I had some relatives, and it just made more sense to actually break into the fine dining scene sort of there as opposed to living in St. Helena and, you know, trying to scrape together enough tip money to, to keep going. So, you know, did that and, and going to Oregon was like a, do I, if I go back to Sebastopol, because when I was going to college, I'll, I'll, I'll say this joke, like my best friend at the time, she was embarrassed to say she was from Healdsburg. And then, you know, within a, a number of just a few years, it went from being this like overgrown town square with a broken down tractor. And I, I don't know if we ever figured out whose tractor that was, but it was there for, forever. <laughs> was there really a broken down Literally tractor? Literally broken down tractor in the middle of town square. And like that was Healdsburg, you know, Racer 5 was there, you know, Bear Republic and all that. And just a couple of staples, but it wasn't a thing at all when I was in, when I was in school and considering doing this when I was in production and whatnot. And then during production, I sort of got like priced out of that valley, like Sebastopol, Gravenstein Highway, kind of like the last of the piste resistance of, you know, kind of people from the Bay Area coming over, price of everything going up. 
you know, Oregon felt like the next Sonoma to me in a lot of ways. You know, I saw a lot of changes happening when I was working production at the time. Like we were the last tasting room to actually charge a tasting fee. And I kind of saw all of my like old school favorites getting facelifts and remodels and expensive tasting fees and whatnot. And so I came out to Oregon thinking, you know, maybe this is that next frontier. Maybe we can kind of get back to what we were doing uh, 20 years ago when things are more accessible, more interesting, more innovative, less like price discriminatory, you know, uh, California in a lot of senses felt felt kind of gatekeeper at the time when I was there. Um, and I think that it's it's done a lot to kind of swing back the other way and the culture has kind of pushed it. And, you know, I think uh, Oregon, Oregon represents that now. So, yeah, I think that's interesting. And it's actually, I've been to Healdsburg and there's definitely no tractor in the square anymore. <laughs> anymore. And it's, it's no. been probably about four or five years. So it's been a few years since I've been down there, but and really enjoyed that area. Um, it really is just a really cool little town. You're spilling on my table. Oh, it wasn't me. We're in it trouble. Wasn't me. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing when wine starts getting poured around here, just how quickly it goes around the table. And um, I don't know. I love the noise of it all. So, <laughs> so okay. So let's fast forward to- um, Sorry, babe, babe. I'm not trying to call you out. The only person you didn't pour was oh, me gosh, just now. Oh, sorry. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, babe. I got you. Here it Goodness comes. Goodness like Can't take her anywhere. Oh, yeah. God, I'm terrible. God, like I'm Mariel. not even paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like with as much chaos as that is in your house that somebody's going to get forgotten somewhere, whether you're not feeding the dog or maybe the kids don't get there, you oh, know, fake whatever. Time. Yeah, it was kind of a wild start. And then, you know, we just kind of talked about it and we, how did that even, we were- It was actually crazy on top of crazy. It wasn't oh, just right. the pandemic, it was when- um, It was when the fires, the fires happened. We were oh. driving, so we decided to get out of town. Because it, the smoke was so bad, the kids couldn't be outside. And we're like, where can we go? We just want to get out of town a little bit. My best friend lives in Whitefish, Montana. And so we actually piled the kids in the car, drove there. And then as we were coming back, I think we were talking about like where, well, what could, how could we do this? What would we do? And we literally went on wine business where they have the grape section where they're like, everybody's like hawking their grapes and everything. And we found some tea cacao. From Yakima. Okay, you said that. I now that you say that, you said that when we were sitting at Trellis yeah. outside. Yeah, it was freezing ass cold. Yeah, by the way, but I did it have was. a really kick ass pastrami sandwich. I think that day. No, that was yes. Was great. And you said that. And I'm like, <clears throat> is that really a thing? Because to me, it's like tint a cow. Tint a cow. So yeah. yes, <laughs> it's uh, it's a Portuguese grape, a Portuguese varietal. Um, okay. that guy's growing up there. He's got a couple. And it was just far, and I can't remember the name now, but the premise of it was sort of like that he has these quote unquote eclectic varietals that people are not as familiar with in the United States. And of course, mm -hmm. we were very familiar with them and thought this is a really great way to start modeling out some of the things we want to do for the project. We knew probably ultimately the varietals we'd be working with, but sure. wanted to sort of do some trials before we dove into, you know, top tier Pinot Noir purchasing sure, and like Chardonnay purchasing and so forth. Yeah. <laughs> like it was a cheap way to kind of dip your toes in and figure out what you wanted to do. And so- we bought equipment and started in our garage. And that's where the picture from our Syrah label. Yeah, I was asking you about that kind mm -hmm. of when we were kind of switching gears here. And it to me, it looks almost like Monet. Oh. Like it does, it's like a black and white Monet because it's not a clear, concise picture. It has a little bit of, you know, kind of um, blurriness to it yeah. on, a, on a certain level. And you said this was kind of your flagship wine and how your first vintage looked. Uh, a little yeah, blurry. It was very much like that. <laughs> well, this this is hilariously, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, labeled that TTB just didn't enjoy it all from the get go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we just were just like, <laughs> why is this like this? And it took a couple of submissions for them to approve it. I think we had had some conversations, which turned into arguments um, late night about like what the label was going to be, so on and so forth. And we had all these different concepts, and we've been trying to narrow in on it. We were tired of talking about it. One morning, I woke up with a fresh perspective. And I jumped on, you know, kind of our old camera reel and found this photo and slotted it on there and put like a little cartoon edit to it. And then I took away all the information because we were just tired of, we were, we were getting frustrated trying to get all the things done that you need to when you're starting a winery and just figuring out all the puzzle pieces. And it's like, I just need this label to go through, man. Like, like, like let's just get this done and put it away. Yeah. And so by the end of it, I'm mm -hmm. like, hey, like, like, I don't care if it says the vineyard. I don't care if it says the AVA. I don't care about all this stuff. Like this is becoming a nightmare. Let's just put Washington Syrah and Oregon Pinot Noir. Yeah, because um, they're both single vineyard wines. But at that point, it was just we were so deep down, I think, a rabbit hole that this just felt a bit more authentic to us and just was uh, easier to pass by the TTB, to be honest. 
And sometimes you have to do (laughs) what makes your life what works a little easier. Yes, and I know the TTB can be a little bit (laughs) particular. Yeah. Yes. So we've, you know, you don't have the tinta cow here. No. (laughs) (laughs) So how did that turn out? The Tinsicao, it's a sad story, the Tinsicao. The Tinsicao, I, I was really excited about doing different oxygen trials on it. We know we knew we wanted to do some amount of intracellular fermentation. We didn't know if we wanted to do carbonic or not. So I got to do a lot of fun oxygen trials and really push that wine and taste that wine a lot throughout its early life. Unfortunately, the, the entire lot was in carboys at the time. And then we actually got licensed and we were legal now and we were producing this legal vintage and I needed those carboys. And so the, the harsh reality of- having to dump wine, you know, drink as much as you could and, and yeah. dump it just so we can use them for the legal vintage is, is kind of where that ended up. So the thing that's really great about it, it was a really cool learning lesson for me. You know, we we look at that vintage and it was maybe like eight to $10,000 to to get jump started. And if someone had told me you're going to have to pour eight to $10,000 worth of wine the down train. the train to get started, <clears throat> I, you know, I, I probably would, wouldn't have done something else um, or looked for a different way. So now having gone through that, it's really great to have that under the belt and realize like the sacrifice and it's like, all right, we in it, you know, let's, let's <laughs> it's a great story. <laughs> well, it is. It, I mean, your whole story all together is a great story. And we were talking about, so you brought Pinot and Syrah. Mm-hmm. So is this your 2020 this vintage? Inaugural vintage. Yeah. yeah. Inaugural legal vintage. Legal is a good word. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we were talking about the Pinot because it has such a distinct and unique flavor. It is really good. Like, Thank you. Like, I mean, I like Pinot, of course, but sure. there's certain ones that just really kind of stand out and have a different, they just have a different, I don't know, feel, vibe, flavor. I, I don't really know. And you started talking about all these different words of different ways you made it. And then she said something about clean feet. And so, <laughs> so I, let's, let's reverse to that because I know we've got none of that, you know, recorded. And I want, I want like the whole like picture, like was this like Lucy? Like I oh, love Lucy stuff, big time. And what's the word that you used for that? Pijage, pijage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's we the French word for foot stomping with <laughs> clean feet. Yeah, with clean feet. Because it sounds like he really made you scrub your feet or something, big time. You would not like me, just so you know. <laughs> I am I'm queen like, of being barefoot. I kept saying like, yes. I don't think that this is what they do in Italy when they pop somebody into a tank or. A big open space and have them step on grapes. I'm pretty sure nobody's scrubbing their feet. And he was like, whatever. <laughs> it, it was it was kind of romantic. I mean, I did it give was. you a piggyback ride down the stairs, that was like cute. to you know, to our first scrub my feet, and he was just like, well, you can't obviously walk down the stairs. <laughs> so I literally rode on his back down the stairs in order to put my feet into the swine. Yeah. You know, when you're first starting out, especially, it's like you you're just for me, I'm worried about every, you know, microbe, every, every bacterial component to it. And just making sure the wine's really clean because we are doing things that we're we're trying to allow for native fermentations. We're trying to allow for a little bit of volatility to be incurred during the winemaking process when the wine's a little more protected. So I'm I'm probably a little neurotic at times. <laughs> no, you no, would nobody definitely would call have that. not liked me last weekend. <laughs> Luckily, my husband was gone. I have an obsession with chasing gophers out of my yard, yeah. and so yes, I was out barefoot in the middle of our pasture. <laughs> but see, he's like that too. Yeah. He doesn't. He yeah. like is wears flip flops all the time and yeah. just like walking in and out of the house. It's more just like when it comes to making this. He is very careful. And I get that, you know, yeah, it's, totally, a lab- totally it's a labor understand. love. It's our little baby. And we put a lot of love and feeling and, and money and money and time into yes. it. And so, you know, I get it. Well, it turned out great. So thank you. Yes. I'm sure if there was some little microbes on your toes that maybe would have turned. microbes. I, let's be honest. Yes. Let's be honest. <laughs> I, I have the best microbes <laughs> on my toes. <laughs> So is are these the first two wines of these are what you made? Yes. The first legal thing. Yeah. Now, we're not missing anything in the lineup. No. We nope. made sixty cases total. Yeah. Um, so round, you know, twenty-eight of one and thirty-two of the other, something like that. We're about halfway sold out of them, which is wonderful. We just released in October. Mm-hmm. So we're feeling pretty good about that, I would say. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, especially for your first time out. I mean, you are truly the definition of a micro yes. boutique. Winery. And, you know, the to have something that is this good. Thank you. Right out of the gate, you guys should really be so yeah, yeah, proud of yourselves. Thanks. It was uh, a lot of me learning to chill out, I think. You know, we did a lot of things that are maybe, you know, weren't necessary. But again, no, when nobody would ever say that. When, <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, she caught me. I was up at, at, you know, three or four in the morning watching a video. I think it was from Savoie of this family. And they had this old basket woven top to the 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 bin they were using to ferment the grapes in. And 
it looked like they gathered up, you know, four or five, six, you know, sets of neighbors. And there's maybe 20 people gathered all around this big basket woven top. And as a community, they were like rolling the grapes over the top. In order um, to like handy stem it. To handy stem. And so, you know, I, I just love this idea that it's like, if you're doing something like this and you're doing something small batch and it's not about like creating a thing that you can like sell people on to make money. It's about like creating moments for people really, right? And it's just in the same way we'd service them in the hospitality role, you know, world and so on and so forth. So, you know, I, I wanted my friends to come. I wanted other people to come. I wanted to be around. I wanted to drink some beers, drink some champagne, like do production together, knowing that like this is one of the most brilliant moments that we're going to derive out of this. It's like, you know, selling's cool. Once it's done, that's cool too. But this is it. This goes away. Like this is the part I love, touching the graves, being a part of the winemaking process. And, and this is really temporary. So it, you know, it could have used a could have <laughs> used was, an automated distemmer and banged out in twenty minutes, but it, it took about nine hours yeah. to, to handy stem. And so we it, <laughs> went to Home Depot and bought closet made shelves, like the white things that sure. you see. Yep. We zip tied them together, and we made our own hand distemmer that we literally rolled the fruit over and rolled the grapes. There's videos of us on our Instagram, literally rolling the grapes over our handmade hand distemmer just to have like the gentlest process that we possibly could for this because we just were taking it, not that we take ourselves so seriously, but we definitely take this seriously. Like we want to make something beautiful and that we love and that other people will hopefully find and love too. And so like it was, he was like, I think we should do this thing that I saw these people doing in France. And I was like, okay, let's go to Home Depot. We can figure this out. <laughs> so here we you are. Mag you MacGyvered it together. Yo, she's a great partner in crime. Like I can say some crazy things and she's like, I could see in her eyes, like, it doesn't make any sense, but like, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm your homie, take, like, let's do it. Yeah, like, it's going to take twice <laughs> as long. And I'm seeing that. He's like, this is going to take two hours tops. And I'm like, okay, we'll call that eight. <laughs> yeah. So I will say that like your guys' social media is interesting. It's a wild ride. It is wild. Like there was just a Roomba with a glass of wine on it the other day. And I'm like, <laughs> what the hell you know, were they doing? But, you know, late night evenings call for late night activities, right? Yeah, we're we're mostly unsure. I think with the social media, with that whole thing, that's that's at least where I stand. Like every time, and I feel like a lot of ways, this is where like the Gorilla Wine Company concept ties in. Like anytime we try to put it in a box, we try to do something that we think is like good for marketing or good for the brand. Like that lasts for about twelve minutes, and we I'm like, man, so this sucks. Weird. We feel so weird when we do that. It just like doesn't feel like us. And so I think when we do things like that, and we're just like, this is what we're doing. This is literally the funny thing we did last night. And then we just like put it out to the universe. It just feels more authentic to us. And if it makes us laugh, I'm like, maybe it'll make somebody else laugh. And, and it, it did. It's and the reality is it's usually us. Like I'm, I've got some steak on the fire pit outside. I'm trying to get the kids off the electronics to go outside. We got a <laughs> totally. bottle of wine open. And then she's like, we need an Instagram post. And the, the vacuum's running. And we're like, all right, just throw the bottle on there. Our vacuum music name to it. Is Let's Jerry. get outside. I just <laughs> name is Jerry. He's a member of our family. <laughs> so, okay. So I read that. And I'm like, is this a thing that people name their Roombas? Is that like, you know, when you like, I if you like don't, you log you it in? absolutely should. Because it honestly just makes him just like a valued member of your clan. When he works, he gets up every morning at 8 a.m. He works harder than any member of our family <laughs> to, to clean our no kitchen. No days off. No days off. Jerry takes no days off. He, I mean, he's set to wake up at 8 a.m. But when he does, we're all like, damn, Jerry's working hard today. Right? I need one of those. <laughs> yeah, I do not magic. have it. But I think I'd have to name it Rosie after like the Jetsons. Yes. Yep. I have would have to have a little Jetson reference there. It's you, a real motivator. When you have yeah. someone in the house operating on two AA batteries getting up before you, you're like, damn. <laughs> Better wake up and do some laundry. Yeah, no some kidding. Breakfast. Let's uh, let's circle back to the gorilla wine thing. Yeah, just because it's it's not spelt like gorilla, like ape, right? Gorilla. It's yeah, spelt G U E. So mm -hmm. why why that name? I mean, seriously. Oh, we've had this conversation so many times, and to, like try to figure out a way to explain it. I think, and is it like guerrilla warfare kind of thing? I mean, that's a reference for sure. Guerrilla marketing. There's lots of. It's kind of just. I mean, when you look up the definition of the term, it's kind of like using whatever resources you have around you to do something different in a way that people don't expect. And so that's pretty poetic. Oh, thanks. Well, yeah, I just came up with it now. You're so welcome. <laughs> um, I think that we've sort of just talked about it's just a concept. It's just kind of a concept for us. It's like not trying to do 
anything that anybody else is going to correct me if I'm wrong. You can jump in here anytime. But like trying to do something different than what other people are trying to do. And not that we're necessarily special or perfect at it. I just think that, you know, you're we, being authentically you. We're, we're trying to just yep. be us. And yep. like I just said, about we talked about with marketing and stuff. Anytime we try to do something that doesn't feel that way, it just kind of like we don't feel good about it. And so I think it kind of becomes like a personal mantra, I think, for mm -hmm. me to like keep the explosion of philosophy and creativity in check. And I've worked around quote unquote, we call the fine wine world for a long time. And it sold a lot of fine wine and so on and so forth. And when it comes down to me as a winemaker being like, okay, I want to pursue making fine wine. I just have such a hard time calling it that because that doesn't resonate with, I think, my best experiences with wine. And so that gorilla kind of reminds me, every time we would choose something else, like a different concept, again, we'd kind of end up, it would get so floofy, so fast. And, and every decision we'd be making would be to kind of like influence people. And maybe it's just because I'm like terrible at, at salesmanship or, or whatever, but it's like, I don't want that piece to be there. Like, I just want to make a good product. Just want to make something people resonate with. And I think that gorilla kind of keeps me in check because the second I call it something else, we end up in flu land and it just doesn't feel, <laughs> doesn't feel real anymore. You know? No, I, yeah, I think we're just trying to keep it real. We are who we are and we hope that just people kind of resonate with that and find us for that reason. We're not trying to put ourselves in a box or put anybody else in a box. And But if you kinda, like very small quantities of very yummy. intentional and and you know, why does it take a lot of energy to produce, you know, check us out. Right. And I would say it's, yeah, definitely should for sure. I mean, there's a Pinot, there's a Syrah. I love the Syrah and the fact that it's not big, heavy, chewy, yeah. you know, rich Syrah. This, and this may not be what it is, but it, it almost feels more like a cool weather Syrah to me. And yeah. the fact that it's, it's fruit forward, it's not super heavy bodied. Yeah. It's, you know, it's not light bodied, but it's really a good drinker. Like you can, Thank you. you know, it's, you can drink it with every meal instead of feeling like you got to kind of cut through it with something, sure. you know, heavy. Yeah. We played with that a lot in talking about what's the hierarchy of like, what do we want to make and what would you want to drink? You know, who, who, what producers do you purchase wine from? You know, what, what do you really like on the table? And I think for, you know, me, I'm, I'm a big Chambon fan. Sure. You know, I, I love champagne. Great. So on and so forth. I find myself drinking the most Beaujolais. Um, I've always loved Gamay. And, and there's something about access and drinkability and sort of like when you're going through the world as maybe like a Psalm or someone in hospitality or whatever gives you exposure to the greats, you sort of find that, you know, hey, this guy in Burgundy makes a really, really great Pinot Noir. You should check out his Aligote, so on and so forth. Like that entry level thing that he has is really representative of his philosophy and his style. And it still has the same quality there. It's just not going to get all the same type of press or notoriety that, you know, his other varietals have, or maybe another region has. So I think that like, we like drinkable wine, you know, we wanted something complex, delicious, but drinkable. And it was like, how do we rank those things? And it's like, well, complexity is great, but if mm. you're sacrificing deliciousness and drinkability, well, that's, that, that sucks. I don't <laughs> want that, you know? So I think the goal is to keep things really drinkable and really accessible, but the complexity should be there and the quality should be, you know, noticeable, so. Somebody next door is sneezing so loud. I wish everybody could hear it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they will. They oh, they will. Yes, it it picks up yeah. everything. So then we've got Chardonnay coming. Oh, yeah. Ooh, look at yeah, you guys Chardonnay. Go. Chardonnay coming out soon. Yeah. So that's uh that's like a dream project. I never thought would come to life, but um, it's Zenith Vineyard fruit. I th we think we were one of the first to pick that vineyard this year. A lot of concerns about the frost, so on and so forth. So we'd like to pick on really high TAs for Chardonnay and, you know, kind of leave it alone. We're in settling in concrete, then into neutral Austrian punch-in for the remainder. So just a really clean, really expressive style Chardonnay. That's awesome. Well, let's uh, let's tell everybody where they can find you. Yes. Social media, uh, yeah. web, blah, blah, blah. Pretty simple. We're at Gorilla Wine Company or at Gorilla Wine Co. on Instagram, but it's G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A. And then GorillaWineCompany.com is our website. There you go. That's it. Well, highly recommend. Thank um, you. People Thanks come and us. hang out with you guys at the very least. Yes. Um, you guys are just a kick. Um, <laughs> yes. We need to, to you guys need to move closer down here so we can hang out more we often. We literally were, scoping we're it out. talking she about that She just showed me today. Mac Market today. And it, it reminds, me of, area. reminds me of Sebastopol. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, you 
tugging yeah. my heartstrings. So you could be we'll friends be that would get me in trouble on a fairly regular basis, but yes. that's okay. Hey, that's we'd okay. Be happy you to only be live those once, friends. right? Yeah. yeah. Well, we, we already have a safe one. word, and we just need to settle on a dive bar, and I think that's a wrap. There you go. And I have <laughs> office space if you need, you know, to somewhere to, to take a yeah. nap oh, after. Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, two couches. Just, just checking. Yes. <laughs> I'll even give you a key, but you got to sign it out. Okay. You know. There you go. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for coming down and enjoying us. This was so much fun, which I knew it would be. And uh, thanks for bringing some wine. Yeah, absolutely. Our pleasure. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us. This has been another great episode of Wine Crush featuring uh, Syndicate Wine and Gorilla. We want to make sure and remind you all that you do us a huge favor if you subscribe, like, share our podcast, and leave us a really good review. Make sure it's really good. We want to make sure that it's really pushing out to the world. And we want to have a huge thank you to not only Dustin with Biscuit and Pickles for the great snacks he always brings us, but also Daniel, our producer, audio genius, for all the work they do behind the scenes. Thank you all. And we will be back in another week or so with another great episode. 